0: If I know anything because of my time as a parent, it is that the size of a thing doesn't determine its impact. Three tiny humans changed my world forever, and now I want to make the world as beautiful for them as they have made it for me. Hey, my name is Lisa, and I'm a small-town mama with the audacity to believe that slowing down is the new keeping up, and joy is what makes a life successful. On the clock, I'm helping creative entrepreneurs to define their goals, gain social communication skills, take intentional action towards their dreams, and learn strategies for mindful marketing and sustainable success in their lives off the clock, I'm raising three beautiful and spirited children with my husband to know that they are safe to dream, question everything, be exactly who they are, use their voices, change their minds, and be weird unapologetically because life is just too short to waste it on fearing ourselves. This podcast is about how I'm learning to be my best in both roles and leave enough room for rest, recovery, and inventive imagination in my life as an example to myself, my kids, and anyone else that needs to know that it is possible. If you're interested in conversations about business, parenting, marketing, relationships, emotional health, or strategies to promote deeper presence in our lives, I think you might like it here. We can trade burnout for boundaries we can trade perfectionism for patience. We can trade hustle for happy. This is The Joyful Enough with me, Lisa Holloway. Being a parent is most often described as the hardest and most wonderful thing you'll ever do with your life. If you choose to be a parent, chances are that you can relate to that narrative We also know that the scales of that description can tip in any direction and often do multiple times even within a single day. It's an emotional roller coaster, to say the least, and one that most of us are riding completely in the dark. None of us really know what we're doing, but the good ones, at least in my opinion, keep trying and showing up to learn better through our mistakes and our joyful moments too. If you're here, my guess is that you fall into that category, and I just want to take a second to say, I am so proud of you. This is hard, and I think it's important that we don't discount how much you are working at this. Don't doubt yourself. They trust you. You can trust you too. So why this conversation? Why now? We find ourselves in a world that is creating a lot of deep emotions in people around parenthood and their choices, or lack thereof, that lead to it and happen within it. I wanted to talk about what it is to be a parent and how we, as parents, can do our part to change the world not only for our children, but for ourselves, as an example to encourage them to do the same someday. I'm going to use the word parent and I want it to be understood that from where I am sitting that word defines anyone that is a significant part of a child's life specifically in a positive way not in a perfect way because then I would be talking about no one but in a loving and genuinely thoughtful way. So whether you are a mother, father, grandparent, sibling, aunt, uncle, teacher, or guardian of some other kind stepping into that role, if you are intentionally trying to be a positive and consistent influence in a child's life, this one's for you. We are told over and over again that it takes a village to raise children, but... Too many of us feel isolated in parenthood for fear of judgment from our peers, especially when we decide to make choices around our parenting that don't fit the standard mold or what seems to be expected of us. Don't even get me started on when we have an honest question or are seeking advice. That's a hornet's nest that most of us don't test after the first mistake of poking it. Not here. Your voice and your choices are welcome here. But let's remember how I opened episode one of this podcast and choose respectful conversations over critical ones. I make choices for myself and my family every single day, and some of those choices will not be right for you. In fact, some of those choices end up not being right for me either. But the beautiful thing about progress is that you can find it even in the steps we take backwards. I believe that there are right and wrong paths for me as a parent. But bigger than that, I believe in autonomy around parenthood, and that means that I support your right to choose differently than I do. If your choices are different from mine, I can respect that, and I ask for the same in return. Whether we make all the same choices as each other or not, I want you to have encouragement and tools to find peace, joy, and love in your parenting. This episode isn't about policy, it's about patience and finding our way home to the parent that we want to be for them. So let's do this. It's comforting to lean into the notion that someday our children will change the world and make it a better place. It's a pretty ideal to hold on to because imagining a better place for them is what gets us through the sometimes crippling fear that we face when thinking of the future they will someday live in, with and without us. The world is and always has been an uncertain place, and where there is uncertainty, you can bet that fear isn't far behind. That's not what any parent wants to imagine for our children. When my kids are giggling in the other room, I imagine them as happy in the future. When they create something new and show it to me with so much pride, I imagine them doing that same thing as adults in their careers, whatever those may be someday. It's not uncommon for me to think things like, look at how thoughtful my Alice is. She's going to change lives and be a light in this world unlike anyone else someday. Look at how creative my Lucy is. She's going to imagine a new world and bring it to life someday. Look at how brave my Theodore is. He's going to lead movements and innovation without anyone's permission someday. What I wasn't ready to admit to myself was that by placing that responsibility of change and influence on them, I was subconsciously relieving myself of it now. But that's not how it works. That's not how generational progress is made. I am sure that if we were to sit down with the people that were around us as children and ask them what we were like at those ages, we would discover that we had a lot of these same qualities that our children have today. The problem is... Life has a way of hardening those childlike hearts in us. Social conditioning crushes our self-confidence. Hustle culture extinguishes our drive from underneath the cloak of finding our self-worth in productivity. We lose our consideration for others, our creativity for the sake of creation, and bravery to try what we don't already have a known result for. Ouch. Am I right? Changing the world is hard and honestly draining to even consider. Parenting is enough work on its own, and there are already not enough hours in the day as it is. Where would I even start? How do I, an imperfect, traumatized, and sometimes barely holding it together human, change the world for the better? You start where you have influence. You start at home. The most beautiful thing about kids is their unique access to an abundance that we as adults cannot even imagine anymore of true, unconditional love. They love to be wherever you are. They don't care if you are doing housework or trying to go to the bathroom. They love you so much that they just want to be anywhere you are. They love to tell you every single thought that they have, often over and over and without any kind of filter because you make them feel safe enough to do so. You'll hear them say phrases that take you by surprise until you realize they heard you say it first. Which is the cutest thing ever and sometimes also a big shock to us when they repeat things that we didn't realize they heard or we didn't intend for them to hear. They will be interested in what you are interested in because you are interesting to them. They will desperately seek your approval because that is what happens when you are someone's entire world. They will love you at your best and they will love you the same at your worst. And with that understanding comes great responsibility on our parts. Why should the burden of changing the world be theirs alone to carry when we can start that change right now with them, for them? We can show them how so that when it is their turn, they have the skills, motivation, and confidence to do it for themselves and to carry on the tradition of change and progress for generations to come. We can do that. We can do that from exactly where we are right now. I want to share five strategies for change in your life that we can implement starting today. Now, a warning. These strategies are going to appear too simple to be as effective as they are, but I want to note that this is why most people miss out on their true power. If I know anything because of my time as a parent, it is that the size of a thing doesn't determine its impact. Three tiny humans changed my world forever, and now I want to make the world as beautiful for them as they have made it for me. The first thing that I want to talk about may not come as such a big surprise. I want to talk about the importance of adding joy to our daily lives. Joy outside of our obligations and the expectations that others have for us and inside of our homes, work, and selves. Joy unbridled, if you will. I'll admit that even just a few years ago, if you had asked me to paint a picture in my mind of what joy looked like, it probably resembled a movie scene more than real life. I probably would have described a sunny day with my family in a field of wildflowers. There would have been a giant house in the background, and I would be writing my next book on a picnic blanket while Marcus whispered sweet nothings to me and the kids played in the flowers ahead of us. There wouldn't have been any humidity, wind, biting insects, fighting, or thoughts about how we would pay the bills, meet the impossible deadlines, or manage our lives in that picture of joy. If you asked me to paint a picture now, it would probably be something like sitting on the couch and watching a movie as a family without a single clue where my phone even is, or the Hamilton soundtrack playing really loudly while I cook without a plan or feeling rushed or riding in the car with Marcus, or talking with Alice, or drawing with Lucy, or playing games with Theo, or anyone and everyone in our home singing for no reason at all, but that our hearts are just too happy not to. Joy is a lot more about observing what is already around me today than dreaming of potential futures, but we do that too sometimes, don't get me wrong. The difference is that now I don't wait for joy to come to me. I call upon it as often as I like from wherever I am. When the living room is a mess and I feel a meltdown bubble up, I look for little feet sticking out of the fort that was once my couch and I feel joy around their comfort to imagine and create freely in our home. When I feel stuck on writing an episode, I read what I have already written and remind myself that I can, and I feel joy in finally doing what I know I was always meant to do. When I feel frustrated, lost, or forgotten, I remind myself that I am capable of unpacking these feelings without resorting to old habits that don't stand up to my values today. And I feel joy in the progress that I have made as a wife, mother, sister, daughter, friend, and human being. Joy is full face smiles and belly laughs, but it's also peaceful progress and self-acceptance. And I want to make sure that my kids download that from my example. I want them to know that joy isn't limited to the time you spend as a child on this earth. Joy is available to every soul, but we have to give ourselves permission to invite it in. That's the part that most of us adults struggle with. Somewhere along the line, we started to believe that we didn't have time for frivolous joy. We started to feel like we didn't deserve spontaneous happiness. We forgot how to feel peace in our processes. It's a lie and one that is robbing you of your joyful enough. And when you cannot reach a level of enough in your life, your big dreams stay way outside of your reach too. I own a party planning business and part of what I do in that business is luxury picnics. If you've never heard of this, this is a type of service that will bring in a blanket or table picnic for you and your loved ones, either to your home or a park or somewhere of your choosing. And we set up decor, lights, snacks, and ways to unplug and spend intentional moments together. And we even clean it all up, too. I started Firefly Hollow Picnics because I wanted to bring the joy that we feel around the table to the people of our community, and it's been magical to do so. Because of this, we own a lot of table decor and beautiful place-setting items. At home, we adore setting a pretty table together as a family— I love to watch my kids feel so big to use special dishes when we eat mac and cheese or whatever happens to be for dinner that night. But we make it a point to still have joy together during meals, even when plastic or paper plates on the couch are what we're working with. Good gravy. Sometimes we skip plates all together and it's just straight out of the paper bag for us. Those are still joyful meals in our home because we make it that way. You can have joy around a situation, but your joy isn't because of the conditions of that situation. It is because you welcome joy into your moment. The plate doesn't matter. You do. You have the power to create joy in your life in any moment that you choose, and doing so unlocks a set of possibilities in your life that is otherwise unattainable. It is not about forcing joy into every moment of your life so that you can refuse every other emotion. It's about knowing that when you need it, joy answers to you. I dare you to joyfully believe in yourself and see what happens. I double dog dare you. The next thing we're going to lean into is creating unapologetic space in our lives for trying. This is a sticky concept to explain because I doubt there is a single person listening to this that doesn't feel like, at least to some degree, they are trying in their daily lives. We are trying to manage our stress levels, trying to make ends meet, trying to show up and be present in all of the little moments we can, and trying to accept ourselves in the process. Because of this, trying doesn't feel very good to us. In fact, it low-key sometimes feels like a trap, a never-ending cycle of self-doubt and disappointing outcomes. For some of us, this is enough to make us stop wanting to try for anything new in our lives because we have come to expect that somehow it will lead to devastation for us. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want them to feel stuck in their situations ever. I want them to know that they always have choices and they can trust themselves to try things. And making mistakes and or changing their minds aren't things to feel shame about. Kids are curious and there is purpose in that quality. They are constantly collecting information about the world and building habits and expectations of how it all works, often subconsciously but these ideals can stick around for decades of their lives. If they tell us something that makes us laugh, be prepared for them to immediately start repeating that action until you can't laugh about it anymore. But the experiment doesn't stop there. If you tend to stop laughing after they have repeated the action, let's just say three times, at some point, they will automatically stop the action at three cycles because they will expect that is the maximum reaction they can get from you. This isn't manipulation. This is learning and adapting. It's honestly amazing, but it's also tricky. A lot of us spent our impressionable years being taught that every question has one right or one best Answer. Anything short of that is wrong. That's a lot of pressure. Getting it wrong meant you didn't do your job of listening, learning, or practicing enough. It meant you failed. As small children, we loved to learn because with every new thing we learned, we grew more confident in ourselves and our environment. But then learning became a chore and one that had heavy consequences if we struggled to maintain the expected pace. I wanted to find a way to gently instill a different narrative for my kids around learning, and I accidentally found it by letting them lead. Kids are curious, and that was the key for me. I just had to nurture that instinct in them, and their own magic would take over from there. I heard interesting questions all day long, like, "Mom." Why does soap clean things? Can butterflies hear me when I talk to them? Mom, who picked the names of all the colors? My instinct for years, because I didn't actually know the answers a lot of the time, and even when I did, I was way too tired to explain it to a child that wouldn't get it anyways. My answer would be some form of, I don't know, honey, or we'll talk about it later. Spoiler alert, there was no form of later that I intended to answer those questions. I think I was just hoping they would forget before they realized I didn't make time to talk about it. What I didn't realize was that I apparently was never looking at them when they asked me these questions because I vividly remember the first time I saw the disappointment in their eyes when I responded with an exhausted, Can we just talk about this later? But that wasn't nearly as painful as when I realized they had started to filter their questions to me altogether. I can only assume because they came to expect an unhelpful or disappointing answer from me. Talk about a punch in the gut. I needed to build a new expectation, and I needed to do it now. So the next time I heard, Mom, I turned and gave them my full attention and welcomed the challenge that I knew was coming. Mom, what would Nutella taste like on a pickle? Ew, okay, that wasn't what I expected and it certainly wasn't something I had an answer for, but I had Nutella and we definitely had pickles, so you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but we can find out. By the way, My sister and I can both confirm that this is in fact a disgusting combo and we would not recommend it. But that's not the point here. The point is that we can try things and be okay with the result being less than we hoped. We had so much fun trying that abominable combination together that it sparked a love of trial and error in the kitchen for my kids. From there, they got comfortable with trying all kinds of new things because the pressure wasn't on making sure it would be a success first or making sure that it was a good question before they asked. When they ask a question that I do know the answer to, I started showing them how to find the answer instead of me just giving it to them. My responses started sounding something like, oh, that's a great question. Let me show you what I know about red pandas and then we can both learn something new about them together. Learning is a tool that we will need for the rest of our lives. And if we can give them confidence in their own ability to learn and adapt and ask questions and wonder wide open when they are small, imagine the things they will be able to do for themselves someday when those things are second nature. That sounds like changing the world to me, my friends. The third strategy is teaching them all about the big three. Intuition, integrity, and intentionality. If you haven't already listened to, or even if you have, I suggest going back and giving episode three of this podcast a listen. Imagine the ways that those lessons and stories and concepts could propel our children into safe and confident relationships with themselves. I won't spend too much time on this here because I know myself well enough to know that I can talk about these three things all day long and we still have two more strategies to cover. But I do encourage you to go back and listen to that episode again with the mindset of changing our own relationship with the big three as an example for them to learn from. Teaching them to tap into their intuition can keep them safe. Teaching them to respect their integrity can guide them to their joyful enough. Teaching them to lead with intentionality can be the key to sustainable success in their lives. The fourth strategy was the hardest for me to apply to myself and the one that I still struggle with the most. Prioritizing rest and recovery. We are probably going to do entire episodes on this subject because it is unfortunately a phenomenon that far too many of us are plagued with, but it is important that we talk about it here, at least a little bit. Hustle culture is a buzzy phrase these days, but it started much further back than most of us realize. It's just that the introduction of social media made it a lot easier for us to become aware of the world outside of our immediate circles. Most of us can probably trace habits of working for survival back generations and generations in our families. Through times of war and Great depressions, stock market collapses, and global pandemics, people have struggled to find ways to outwork our worries. I think that we believe that rest is appropriate when the work is done, and for most of us, the work is never done. We don't take vacations because we can't afford them, and honestly, work would follow us there anyways. We don't take time off because that would only put us further behind and we aren't keeping up as it is. We don't sleep because there's just far too much to worry and overthink about. We work ourselves to absolute burnout and then blame ourselves for that too. And all the while, our kids are watching and learning to repeat this pattern for themselves not on our watch. If we have to eat more PB&J and less steak to make sure that I can afford to take time off to unwind and live my life with my family every day, that's what we're gonna do. If I have to turn down well-paying opportunities because the workload would walk me outside of my joyful enough, that's what I'm gonna do. If vacations look more like backyard camping than Disneyland for a while because of said decisions, I'm bringing the snacks and Marcus is building the tent, and we will both do so joyfully. You cannot earn rest. You cannot avoid the need for recovery. These things are natural safeguards, and we are destroying them and ourselves in the process. How many times have you sat in front of a task that you needed to complete and just had nothing left in the tank to do so? But you sat there for hours and berated yourself over it anyways. Get up. Go outside. Take some breaths or go on a walk. Change your clothes, change your scenery, or clock out completely and come back fresh tomorrow. Sometimes it takes five minutes of unplugging. Sometimes it takes a few hours. But you need that unplug. We are under such enormous pressure, and creativity cannot survive in that environment. When we allow ourselves to relax, truly relax, that's when the magic happens anyways. That's why we get our best ideas in the shower or just before we fall asleep, or even from poolside lounge chairs. Prioritizing rest and recovery doesn't just release you from the unrealistic expectations that life has handed us, but it releases you from the tangle that our problem-solving abilities are trapped in because of the conditioning that has brought us here. You cannot earn rest It is your right, and it is necessary for your physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual survival. Money can't do that. Recognition can't do that. A job can't do that. Time with the people that you love can. Time spent doing the things you love to do outside of work can. Peaceful rest, and purposeful sleep can. We have to start having these conversations with our kids. And that brings us to the fifth strategy, practicing healthy communication. Again, this is a subject that I would love to sit and talk all day long about, but to keep this episode from being seven hours long, I'll say this for now. We are communicating with our children even when we don't realize it. Their minds are constantly trying to fill in the gaps between what they witness and what they think. Talk to them about it. Lead the conversations, be descriptive, and ask specific questions to help them dial in their own communication skills. Talk about the joy you feel so that they can learn to recognize it in themselves. Talk about the impact that proper rest and recovery has on your life and why it is important for them to do the same for their own bodies. Talk about trusting your gut, following your heart, and taking action on purpose. Teach them about the big three and how to find the answers they need when they need them. Teach them how to change their world now so that they know it is possible when they need it in the future. You can do that, parents. You can change the world by changing theirs. It takes practice, and it's probably going to be awkward at first, but there's a lot to discuss, so you'll have plenty of time to dial in your own communication skills too. You've got this. I would love to know how you're changing narratives and answering questions for them and what your questions around communication are so that we can discuss more of this in future episodes. Reach out to me on Instagram or email me at lisa at thejoyfulenough.com and let's keep talking about this. Just remember that you don't have to have it all together to start making a big difference. Start by telling them stories. That's why a lot of the things that we talk about here, the stories about how the Joyful Enough came around and the idea of the basket or the magic wand for integrity. That's why I have all of these stories because that's how I broke it down in my mind to be able to tell them the story now And then start explaining the ideal and the concept to them as they grow and they begin to get a little bit better of an understanding of the world and how those ideas and concepts apply to the things that we do in our daily lives. And it honestly helped me to rewrite some of those old narratives I had in my mind too. Sometimes you just have to take it back to the basics and tell yourself a new story and build a foundation of change from there. I hope that this episode has added to your basket today. Just remember, you're enough either way. Until next time, this has been the Joyful Enough Podcast with me, Lisa Holloway. You just finished another episode of the Joyful Enough Podcast, and you know what that means now, right? Don't you? we are basically best friends. So we should probably swap emails. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter below in the show notes. There's a link for you there. Or you can just reach out to me if you've got something that you want to share with me. Just email lisa at joyfulenough.com. Don't forget, come over and hang out with us on Instagram. And we love to see pictures and screenshots of you listening to the show. So please tag us. Until next time, sign-offs are still super weird for me. So I'll just leave you with, bye.